You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hey everybody, welcome back to the week ahead on the Four Check Show that tells you everything you need to know about the Nashville Predators one week at a time. I'm Emmett Smith, a staff writer here on The Forecheck, and I'll be your guide through this week's slate of games. Before I take a look at what's to come, we have a few games from this past week to go back over. Let's take a look. Let's kick off the show with a brief recap of all that went down in this past week. The Predators took on the Columbus Blue Jackets in a pair of games at home, winning the first game 3-1 and the second 5-2. Nashville got plenty of contribution from the new faces on the roster. Luke Cunnan scored a goal in each game, Eric Howla registered an assist, Brad Richardson scored the game-winning goal in Saturday's game, and Mark Borowiecki formed a good tandem with fellow bottom pair defender Matt Benning. Each week, I'll be naming who I think was the player that stood out the most. This can be in a good way or a bad way. This week's center of attention is Yusei Saros. The young Finnish netminder has been known for coming out of the gate cold in past NHL seasons, but this week proved that he might be in for a special year. Saros won both games while posting a 1.50 goals allowed average and a 9.59 save percentage. Yusei was especially key in Saturday's victory, stopping 42 of 44 shots, including a deluge of high-danger chances. The Predators looked like an improved team in all facets, but especially in transition. John Hines seems to have put an emphasis on moving away from being totally reliant on dump chase hockey, allowing Matt Duchesne and other transplants to get more comfortable in Nashville's system. I do have concerns about the amount of net front chances the team allowed in the second game of the back-to-back, but given their stellar defensive showing in Game 1, I'm not going to harp on that too hard. That's this past week summed up. Let's take a look at what's coming up in week two of the NHL season. Here to discuss the Hurricanes with me is editor of our sister site, Canes Country, Andrew Schnitker. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's uh, great to be back talking some hockey. Great to have hockey back after all the kind of uncertainty we had for a couple months there about what exactly was going to happen. I've gotten to see the Hurricanes play a couple games now. That's been fun. Uh, there's still a little part of me that feels a little, I guess it's been a couple years now since those days, but there's still a little part of me that feels a little weird hearing you call the Hurricanes one of the more threatening teams in the NHL. But yeah, no, it's been good. I'm uh, I'm excited to be back in the swing of things with hockey season for sure. Well, we're glad to have such a knowledgeable Hurricanes fan on the show. I have a few questions for you so the good folks listening can have some more information about our new friends in the Central Division, and I certainly couldn't answer all of them, so thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. I'm always down to talk some Hurricanes hockey, and I uh, hope I can answer your questions. Uh, so firstly, I just want to look at Carolina's roster. This is a very loaded team with a chance to contend for the top of this division, but out of all of those very good players, I'm guessing there are some that kind of hold the keys to the Canes' success. If you had to pick that player who's going to be most key to your team succeeding this year, who would it be and why? Well, kind of part of what works for the Canes is they don't, I mean, they have some great players, but they don't really have that like one guy who they're asking to totally put the team on his back that, you know, they've got kind of several guys at the top of the roster who are capable of taking over. But if you're asking me to pick one, 
it's it's got to be Sebastian Ajo. He's their number one center. He's their best player. He was two goals shy of scoring 40 last year, despite the shortened season. And kind of as he goes at the top of the roster, so go the Hurricanes. In their first game against Detroit, he had a very good game centering the top line again. He had a really impressive assist where he kind of drew three defensemen to him and slid a pass over to an open Nino Niederreiter. And that's kind of what, you know, Ajo does. He makes the players around him better when he's going and guys are having to focus on him. It opens up, you know, more matchups at the bottom of the, down the roster. So the Hurricanes have several guys who I maybe could have listed here, but it's hard to imagine this team playing to its potential without Sebastian Ajo kind of going out and doing what he does. Thank you for that wonderful answer. Uh, <laughs> I love watching Sebastian Ajo play. Uh, I would definitely have included him in that list too. And for all Preds fans listening, be sure to pay attention to him and his performance uh, when you're watching these upcoming games. Uh, secondly, I just want to ask you, what can we expect from this Carolina middle six? Uh, there, there's some really interesting names here with, you know, you have young guys like Martin Nietzsche's, uh, or Nietzsche's, sorry, I pronounced that wrong. Uh, and Andrei Svechnikov, as well as some newer veterans like Jesper Faust and Vincent Trocek. And, you know, you still have Jordan Stahl centering the second line, familiar face there. So what kind of matchup problems can these players cause and how do you think the Hurricanes will go about exploiting those? Well, it's interesting that you ask because you kind of hit on what's what been one of the bigger talking points for this team coming out of training camp, which is the forward lines. Last year, you saw from a big part of the year, the Hurricanes look kind of loaded up their top line with Ajo, Tevo Teravainen, who's a superb playmaker and another player I easily could have used as an answer to your last question, and Andrei Svechnikov. But I think part of what Rod Brindamore is trying to do going into this year is kind of spread the wealth and, and you know, his logic and he's explained it and it makes sense to me is, you know, if you can get, you know, you've got Ajo and Tara Vinen going as a pair. If you get Svechnikov and Natchez going on another line, you get Trocek going, you become a much more dangerous team to defend because, you know, opposing teams can't just focus on one line. One of the keys to that is going to be a guy I also mentioned, Nino Niederreiter, who played very well with Ajo and Tara Vinen when he first came over in a trade during the 2018-19 season, coming off a bit of a down year, but he looked really good in that first game against Detroit in the top line. He was maybe the Hurricanes' best forward. He had the goal. He created some other chances. And I think if you can have him playing well on that line with the Finns, then that creates kind of what Brendan Moore is trying to do. Then you've got to worry about Svechnikov on another line and him playing with Natchez and him getting him going. Um, the one thing I'll say that I think most people around the Hurricanes would probably agree on is we would have thought and would probably expect at some point to see Trocek and Stahl flipped with Trocek centering that set, second scoring line with Natchez and Svechnikov and Stahl with Jesper Faust and Warren Fogel on more of a checking line. But I think part of what Brendan Moore is trying to do too is see if he can maybe even get three scoring lines going and if Jordan Stahl's, you know, simple, straightforward power game can work with Svechnikov and Natchez. And then you get some out of Trocek on the bottom. I'm not sure that's going to work, but we'll see how it plays out. 
But like I said, if, with Nino Niederreiter doing what he did in that first game, if he can continue, then you are looking at some significant matchup problems because you've got the top line with the Finns, and then you're also worrying about a guy like Andre Svechnikov on a different line. Yeah, Andre Svechnikov. I mean, he's he's a first line player on a lot of teams. He was incredible last year. Uh, I, I'm very interested in the Jordan Stahl second line stuff because he's just been such a solid defensive player for a really long time. So maybe that's kind of why he's been paired up with uh, Natchez and Svechnikov. Even though Svechnikov is a pretty okay defensive winger from what I've seen, uh, maybe they just like having you know a really responsible defensive center with those younger guys. Uh, but Trocek is a really, really good player, too. Um, and, you know, Stahl absolutely has the ability to be a really good middle six, uh, third line center who can, you know, shut down the opposing team while also winning matchups. So that's pretty interesting there. Uh, lastly, I just want to ask you about the team's performance. Uh, how do you feel like the Canes performed in training camp? Any standouts there? And then also, I mean, we've only seen one game from this first week so far while we're recording this. Uh, they'll play another game against the Red Wings upcoming here. But how did you feel about that game? And, you know, based upon last season and all of the above, uh, what should our expectations be of them as divisional rivals now? Well, that game, it's kind of funny because you would have almost expected to see some sloppiness at the beginning, but the Hurricanes got that early goal that I mentioned from Niederreiter in. I thought looked pretty good in the first period. They were physical. They were fast. They were, you know, making some plays, getting some good chances. But kind of throughout the game, as it went on, you saw a lot of sloppiness from both sides, which I think is to be expected when you've got one team in the Hurricanes that hasn't played for four months and one team in the Red Wings that hasn't played in almost a year and you get no preseason. But, you know, looking at the past couple of years, it's interesting. The Hurricanes – are going into their third year now of Rod Brindamore, who, of course, is a, was a franchise legend as a player, as their head coach. And he's really kind of changed the culture and up the ante. You know, when he came in that first year, the Hurricanes had not made the playoffs in nine years. And it was kind of like, all right, let's get back to the playoffs. Like, let's get back to being relevant. They did that. They had that magical 18-19 season when they had a big run down the stretch to get in, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They were on pace to do a little bit better last year when the season got paused and then just kind of the way things worked out with the seating bracket and all that in the bubble kind of got an unfortunate draw in the first round with the Boston Bruins. The interesting thing was, and I think, you know, one thing that got talked about in training camp a lot was how this could be an advantage. This is pretty much the same group that you saw last year. You've got Vitrocek and Brady Shea, who both came over at the deadline, starting their first full, well, I say full, as full as it can be now, regular season. And those are two guys that were singled out by Brenda Mooring as having really good camps. Uh, Justin Williams retires and you bring in Jesper Foss, who you mentioned. That's pretty much the only change. And I think you've got a group that is hungry because they've seen in the past two postseasons things not end the way they wanted to against the same team. And I think they're really eager to get back and take another step. And I think, you know, all the talk from Brenda Moore and everybody else is, you know, this is a good team. We've shown what we can do. Now their expectation is taking it to another level and competing for a Stanley Cup. Can they do it? 
I think so. There's a couple things that need to break right. They need to be able to get enough complementary scoring throughout their lineup, which, again, if a guy like Niederreiter can stick on the top line and you get some from a guy like Trocek in the bottom, in the middle six, that helps a lot. And then the goaltending, Peter Morozik and James Reimer have both shown that they're kind of good, not great goalies. We're kind of waiting to see if either of them has that higher gear to really carry a team deep. But in terms of the regular season, I think this is a very good team, a very deep team, and a very talented team. And I would be fairly surprised if the Hurricanes are not at least top three in this Central Division when it, when the season ends. I have them uh, predicted to finish second in the Central just behind the Tampa Bay Lightning, but I wouldn't be shocked if they finished first or third. But I really do feel confident that the Canes will make the playoffs, especially now that they're getting back Dougie Hamilton, who's one of the better defenders in the NHL last year, probably would have gotten some Norris talk if he hadn't gotten that brutal injury uh, later in the season, which really sucked. Uh, but just just really great answers there. Um, thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, where can our listeners find you and what should they be reading from Kane's Country if they want to learn more about the Hurricanes? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ashnit53. That's A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3, all lowercase. Kane's Country is just at Kane's Country. No space, both Caesar Capital. Yeah, we've got some really great stuff. We do a podcast of our own. We've got an episode that just dropped this past Friday based on the first game. And the episode before that is kind of an encompassing season preview um, from my the podcast for myself and my co-host, Brett Finger and Ryan Henkel. We kind of went through our expectations for the season. We've got some stories up kind of breaking down each position group in the new central and how the hurricanes stack up against them. Um, I did one breaking down the centers for the hurricanes and how Vincent Trocek gives them a lot of potential down the middle this year. A good story about from one of our other writers about how the hurricanes goalie platoon can be an advantage in this short season. So really we, I'm really proud of my staff. We turned out a lot of really good season preview content for this team in a short time going into camp. So definitely feel free to go head over to our site and check that out if you want to learn more about the hurricanes. Yeah, you guys make some excellent content over there. Uh, really, really just love reading anything that you put out. Have some really talented writers. Uh, and I mean, if you're a Preds fan and you don't know enough about the hurricanes or you don't feel like you know enough about the hurricanes, go read those season previews. Go listen to the podcast. Go, go look at the positional breakdowns because uh, you'll have a really, really deep understanding of how every single part of that Hurricanes team that you're going to see next week is going to function, or rather this week when you guys are listening to it. Uh, so thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, I look forward to working with you guys all season, and we're going to take a quick break here to hear from our advertisers. But when we get back, I'll have another guest with me, and we're going to talk about the Preds' next opponent, the Dallas Stars. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. 
Next up, the Predators have some matchups with the now Corey Perry-less Dallas Stars, who will hopefully be a bit less hated than past iterations of the team. Much more likable than the team that brutalized poor Ryan Ellis is Taylor Baird, a PWHA member and the wonderful site manager for Defending Big D. Taylor, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, we're glad to have you on the show. I'm not a big Stars fan, uh, as you can probably tell from that opener, but they have a fun fan base and it's really great to have somebody who can give our listeners a more educated perspective on the team than I ever could. Uh, the Stars might have a few na- new faces in uh, the lineup that we could be seeing in the upcoming games due to you know all of the offseason injuries that we've seen with the team. And then also the NHL's biggest COVID-19 outbreak, 17 Stars players tested positive. Uh, so who are some of these new players that we could see in the lineup as a result? And are there any to watch out for? Yeah, so the, the Stars are unique in the sense that they have been sitting on the sidelines waiting for people to recover from COVID uh, versus opening their season this past week. So the home opener against the Predators on Friday the 22nd is actually their first game of the season now. And uh, what's been really crazy is the fact that we've had so many players in and out of whatever training camp sessions have actually been able to be held. So I think there's actually a a higher than likely chance that the stars have a number of new players in the lineup based on who is in and who is out. Um, I think the biggest key is that Miro Haskinen and Jamie Lixiak, which is the star second D pairing, uh, ha- has is still not on the ice as of Saturday, January 16th. So hopefully those two come back, but otherwise the star's depth on the blue line, which is actually one of their strengths, might become one of their greatest weaknesses. But it also opens the door for Thomas Harley to potentially make an NHL debut this year. Um, Harley's been probably one of the star's biggest hyped prospects, kind of a blue chip, blue liner and he's a he's a mobile defenseman on the back end, more offensively creative, um, and obviously, like any uh, any young defenseman in the league, he's got to work on his defensive game, you know, and take care of his own zone. But you know, with him between him, Haskinen, and John Klingberg, the Stars could potentially have one of the most lethal blue lines if they ever get healthy. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I think it's all going to come down to roles and who on the team is still out. Rhett Gardner and uh, somebody like a Nicholas Kamano, not really kind of talked about prospects, kind of blue collar guys. They fit a, a need on the fourth line and could kill penalties, which is going to be one of the question marks that Dallas needs to answer with Matthias Yanmark. Uh, moving on in free agency. So I think there's a number of guys, but in terms of blue blue star prospects, I mean, the ones that mo- people need to probably know are Thomas Harley and then Jason Robertson and Ty Delandria up front on in the in the forward group. So yeah. 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 I'm I'm a really big uh Thomas Harley fan. Uh he's just man, he's such a slick skater and good puck mover and I I love everything about his game he really fits the modern NHL defenseman and I can't stand the fact that the stars have him because 
you know, they're already so loaded on the blue line over there. You know, you have Miro Heiskanen, who's obviously great. Alexiak, who's really solid. Uh, Asa Lindell, you know, kind of up and down player, uh, depending upon who you ask. He's either really, really good or a bit overrated, but I, I tend to like his game. Uh, and then obviously John Klingberg, who's a stud uh, and excellent power break, power play quarterback. So all, all of the pieces in the world over there, but I'm really excited to see him get a crack at the NHL. Speaking of that last uh, new face that we were kind of talking about, how did Ty Delandria look in training camp this year? Uh, and what do you think of him as a player? I, I really love watching him in the OHL. He was a really dominant cog in the Flint Firebirds offense for a long time there, but I haven't really got much of a chance to see him at the pro level um, in the AHL and he's made the team out of camp. So I was wondering, you know, what should Preds fans be looking for when they're watching the new centerman for the stars? So Delandria's opportunity is going to be really interesting. Um, Like I kind of alluded to earlier, the stars have a number of, of players that are still on the COVID list. Um, and so he may get thrust into a spot sooner than, than maybe otherwise. Um, but the fact that he's kind of stuck around and has been with the quote NHL group when they've actually had enough players to make two groups, which is a whole nother like conversation. Um, you know, I think it says a lot about what the team values in him. He's a guy that, um, when, people talk about his game actually around the stars organization. We hear a lot about how he is off the ice more so than his on ice stuff. You know, he was a captain of the, of the Flint team um, when they were going through arguably some of the weirdest and worst seasons in the OHL. Um, And he continued to go back because he was like, I'm the leader and I want to see this thing through. Um, so I think they look at him as a guy that can bring a lot of that kind of leadership into the locker room and, and Dallas is really big on that. Um, so they have a number of guys in, in the locker room that are what I would call quote character guys where, you know, Joe Pavelski was a captain on his team for a long, long time in San Jose. You've got veterans that are really well respected, like, Blake Como and Andrew Cogliano and you've had guys like Jason Spezza come through and all of these players, you know, they come with a lot of poise and character off the ice. And and so Dallas kind of drafts that, which is really interesting. Um, and so I think that what we've seen in Dallas so far is Delandria just goes out there and he works and he listens to what the coach coaching staff tells him and he goes back and he works on it. And any player that does that is going to be highly valued by a coach, even if their skill set doesn't necessarily scream start. Um, you know, coaching staffs are going to give those players more looks and they're going to give them more chances and longer leashes because they're honestly going out and working on things. So that's what we've seen from Ty. But, you know, again, the problem is, is it's been really hard to, it's been hard to project any of those guys that could make the team because so many of them have been out with COVID. I mean, 17, that's like half your roster. Oh my God. Um, So it's, it's tough because it's going to be really weird to see when Dallas actually has a full lineup if these guys like Delandria, like Harley, like Jason Robertson can do enough to make 
decisions for the coaching staff really difficult once some of those more veteran guys are, are ready to come back. Yeah, uh, we, I, I, I definitely agree with you that uh, Delandria still remains somewhat unknown, especially with the wacky situation that's going on with the training camp. Maybe, you know, you'd have a little bit more of a concrete opinion on what he could be doing in the NHL if you could see him playing like with consistent, you know, uh, line mates in practice. But one thing I think that will help though is the fact that Delandria, Harley, and those guys, they were up in the bubble with the stars through their Stanley Cup final run. So even though they didn't necessarily draw into the lineup, they were there, they were practicing, they were getting familiar with the system. And I think that's actually going to help them a lot. Um, more so than had they still been with their junior teams, didn't go to the bubble, and now you're sitting here going, okay, these guys are, are you know, potentially having to insert into the NHL lineup probably sooner than the coaching staff would be comfortable with. But I think the fact that they had all that experience gives a different comfort level for the, the coaches. Yeah, I mean... And and Delandry is definitely like, you know, the coach's dream type of player where he just goes out there and he's doing everything you tell him to. He he's the kind of guy where he has a, you know, top six projectable ceiling, maybe, but uh the big thing that you could say about him is that he can go out and be a middle six guy where, you know, he can he can be in a grindier role where he's doing all the little things right. And that's what the coach is saying about him that they appreciate. And he also has the skill to score and help out in an NHL lineup. He has that kind of talent. So he's he's a really interesting player because he has the ability to kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in his first real NHL action. Uh you know, up with the bubble and everything, which shows you that the team is really high on him and that they feel like, you know, uh, push comes to shove. He could have been a contributor last year, but uh, this, this will be his first NHL action as a rookie. So that'll be pretty cool to watch. Uh, Only 11 games in the AHL. It looks like for his career. Uh, Hence why I didn't really get to see very much of him when he was playing with the Texas stars, but uh, really good production in the OHL, really good kid from all angles. And, I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. Speaking of kids, uh, this is this is another young player that we're talking about with the stars. Probably my favorite player on the stars, uh, Denise Gurianov. Uh, I love Denise Gurianov. Uh, to some NHL fans, that might be uh, an unfamiliar name, but I think he still gained some notoriety because he had that four goal game in the playoffs as a rookie, which is pretty awesome. Uh, he also always seemed to be you know, in Rick Bonus's doghouse at times last year, which is kind of the point I want to look at here. Uh, he didn't get any consistent top six minutes until the end of the year, or if he was in the top six, he was being really heavily sheltered. It was clear that there were some trust issues when it came to his defensive game anytime I watched. Is he established enough now where he'll be a mainstay in that top forward group? And uh, can we expect a breakout year from him? And then on top of all of that, do you feel like there are parts of his game that still have room to grow and what may they be? So Gurionov is actually a really fascinating case study from last year. He started in the NHL and then actually was sent down early on. Um, so he actually went back to the AHL for, for a couple weeks. Um, and then when he got back, he, he managed to figure out a way to stay in the lineup. I think when people look at his production last year, they look at his total overall minutes 
And they get really frustrated that a guy who seems to have a knack for putting the puck in the net didn't have more of them. Um, I think actually when you start to really break it down, what hindered him is the fact that he doesn't kill penalties and the fact that the Dallas Stars have a tendency to take a lot of those. And so if you're constantly having to kill off penalties, then, you know, he's not in the rhythm of the game. And then when you get back to five on five, it's hard to like get a guy who's been sitting on the bench for a couple of minutes and get him back into, you know, the, the flow of things. And bonus talked about that several times throughout the season when people would question why he didn't have more minutes. And then the other thing is, is that bonus actually looks at usage based on number of shifts and what Gurionov has done and has figured out a way to do is he'll go out there for 30, 35 seconds shifts he doesn't ever really extend them. And so he has probably as many shifts as any other forward on the on the team. But every time you go out there and you're out there for five seconds less than everyone else around you, that kind of starts to add up over the course of the game. And so bonus has always kind of been like, yeah, but look at the number of shifts he's had. So take that for what it's worth. I mean, I still kind of look at it and go, hmm, but, you know, could you not have found more minutes for him? Yeah, you probably could have. Um, But I think that his play during the postseason has definitely cemented him as a top six option. Um, I like that the Stars finally figured out that he had an offensive knack and found a role for him on their power play. So I think that was one thing that also kind of went against him early on in the season last year was the fact that they kind of had him in this like rover like role and and that's not really like his style um and then when they started putting him over on the half wall and feeding him one-timers he started scoring and everybody was like oh well hello (laughs) where did that come from um and I think the coaching staff realized that with as many of the other guys that they have especially their mobile defensemen they can create enough chaos that actually leaves Gurionov like people tend to leave him open and then you can feed him and with his very, very accurate shot, you can figure out a way to, to get some points there. So um, in terms of what he could work on, you know, I mean, it's, it's tough to say because like really you look at the restart and the fact that the stars kind of changed their system they actually tweaked it a little bit which is why they looked really really awful in the round robin games but really kind of got it figured out um as the playoffs wore on and and then they had success um coming within two wins of the stanley cup when basically they were essentially the walking dead um you know i think i think the new system fits Gurionov really well Um, and so I think in terms of what he's going to work on is probably just consistency now. Um, it's going out there and, you know, finding ways to manufacture goals, even if you're not in game seven of a playoff series. Um, so that's going to, I think, be the next step for him. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a couple of, uh, things that people point out about, you know, his defensive game or something like that, but he's a winger. It's not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, you'd love him to be an excellent defensive player, but just, just watching him, I don't think that's really the point of having him out there on the ice. He's got a great shot. He's a good skater. Um, he makes smart decisions with the puck a lot of the time, especially in the offensive zone. And he's sick on the power play. Uh, that's what you're getting out of Denise Gurionov. 
uh, I, I definitely look to him as one of the guys on the stars that could have really, really top end offensive production and could be one of the driving forces behind this team contending for the top of this division, if not trying to win it. So, well, that'll wrap up our look at the opposing teams this week. Uh, Taylor, where can fans find you and what should they go read on Defending Big D to be fully informed for these games coming up this week? Yeah, so uh, check us out on DefendingBigD.com where we put up all of our glorious work. Uh, We have a number of different things up there like uh, who's going to fit in a penalty killing role now that Matias Yamark is gone and um, you know, a lot of stuff on Thomas Harley and what he did in the World Juniors and how he quietly had a really awesome, awesome game up there. And you can also find me personally on Twitter at Taylor D. Baird. D is in Diane because that's my middle name. Um, I tweet mostly about my cat and hockey. And also sometimes I dip into gender equality. So just a, a fair warning for any of you that decide to follow me, follow along with me. But um, yeah, so come check us out. We'd be happy to have you. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on this week with me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to these two teams uh, growing their already existing rivalry and having some friendly smack talk with you guys and reading all of the amazing work you do over there. So good luck to you. Good luck in these upcoming games, but we're going to smoke you. Uh, eat it. <laughs> uh, th- thanks again for coming on, Taylor. Appreciate it. Thank you again to Taylor Baird of Defending Big D and Andrew Schnitker of Canes Country for coming on the show and giving us all that great information. To finish out, let's have a look at the Predators themselves. That's what you guys are here for. The Predators have looked better as a team, but they'll get a good test of whether they're for real against the Carolina Hurricanes. The Canes are coming off of an embarrassing 4-2 loss to the Detroit Red Wings, but they have significantly more offensive firepower than the Columbus Blue Jackets, especially in the top six. Nashville's team defense looked a bit more suspect than I liked in the second game against the Jackets, and Carolina isn't a team that'll let you get away with that kind of stuff. If the Predators play well against guys like Sebastian Ajo, Tevo Teravainen, and Andrei Svechnikov, I'll feel significantly more confident in their ability to compete with the Tampa Bay Lightning for the top of this division. The Predators play the Hurricanes this Monday and Tuesday, both at 7pm Central Time. Television coverage will be provided by Fox Sports Tennessee, with Tuesday's game also being available to ESPN Plus users. The radio broadcast of the games can be found, as always, at 102.5 The Game. Later in the week, the Dallas Stars will provide a different kind of tests. Will the Predators be able to beat the teams that they should be beating? Dallas is normally a formidable team to face, but the Stars will be playing their first NHL game this year against Nashville, with a roster ravaged by injuries and COVID-19. The Preds of last year had issues with playing down to competition and getting ripped apart by teams that employ trap-heavy game plans so I'm excited to see if this roster can break that pattern and wipe the floor with an opponent that they should easily handle. The NHL is full of randomness, and any team can win on any given night, but if Nashville doesn't at least split the series with Dallas, that's reason for a bit of concern. The Predators face the Stars on Friday and Sunday at 7.30 and 7 p.m. Central Time, respectively. Television coverage will be provided by Fox Sports Tennessee and ESPN Plus for Friday's game, but only by Fox Sports Tennessee for Sunday's matchup. For any of these games, you can listen in with 102.5 The Game Nashville. For players to watch this week, I'll give two guys. First, Dante Fabro. The sophomore defender has had another rough patch of play to open the season, but I'm trying to avoid getting too concerned over such a small sample size. Still, it's worth watching him closely to see if his chemistry with Matias Ekholm is improving at all. If not, the pair could prove extremely problematic to the team's long-term success. 
Favreau is a very smart player, but I worry about his conservative approach to the game failing to translate at the NHL level where everyone is as fast and skilled as him. Secondly, I'd implore you to pay attention to Luke Cunning. The trade acquisition from the Minnesota Wild had a rough first game, but he managed to score a goal. Game 2 saw market improvement from the young winger, and yet another tally that helped push Nashville to a win. Cunnan hasn't been the best player defensively, but his tendency to drive hard to the net and ability to anticipate when those high-danger plays will present themselves has been invaluable to a Preds offense that's been scoring at a decent clip. Cunnan led the team in individual expected goals on Saturday, which basically means that he was the most consistently dangerous offensive player on the ice for Nashville. If he sustains this type of aggressive mentality and works out the anticipation issues with his defensive game, he'll be a heck of a player for the Predators going forward. Well, folks, that'll do it for this week's show. Look for the next episode of The Week Ahead wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to check out all of the top-shelf Predators content featured at OnTheForeCheck.com. I'm Eamon Smith, I'm a staff writer on The Forecheck, and you can find me on Twitter at Gin and Yusi. That's spelled Gin and Juice, but with Juice spelled like Yusi Saros' first name. Thanks for listening, and have a great week, everybody. Go Preds!